Willard is the exception. Doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, and ends a sane. The rest of them, yeah. Pardon my French, fuck those fuckers. And welcome to The Girls on the Boys, a podcast dedicated to analyzing the Amazon series The Boys and the spicy world of soups and stereotypes. I'm Jen Adams. And I'm Rachel Reeves. And you know, I was just thinking maybe we should have our own little superhero nicknames. Maybe that's something for us to work on for next season. Yes, I would love that. Yes, we can come up with our own. Like if we were a member of the seven, like what would, yeah. our, what would our name be? What would our powers be? Ooh, that would be fun. Mm-hmm. I'm also going to be working on my actual powers because I'm still trying to get that pyrokinesis going. Um, I believe in you. you can maybe, do it. maybe by season three, we'll get it. Um, and today we're doing something a little bit different. Instead of covering a specific episode, we are going to zoom out a little bit, fly out, if you will, and take a look at season one as a whole because there is a whole lot of shit that has gone down and we need to talk about it. And we also have a special guest joining us. Not only is he our very first guest, but he is our very first boy to join the pod. We took the, you know, no boys allowed. No boys allowed. (laughs) Yeah, we're letting him into the clubhouse. (laughs) He's a writer playwright and co-host of the Losers Club podcast, Randall Coburn. Welcome to the pod. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, I was thinking about a superhero name and I, I, I landed on, okay, when I was in high school, I was really into wrestling and my friends, I had a couple of friends who had trampolines and we used uh-huh. to wrestle and we had like a little trampoline wrestling federation. Were there uh, the stick we, light things involved in this? Oh no, it, we were, we were throwing punches and, oh, wow. <laughs> and body slams and pile drivers. I was getting power bombed through uh, pieces of plywood. Uh, wow. was, we went, we went hard and uh, yeah, we even made it on the local news. There's a very funny uh, uh, still of me much 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 younger uh that i have on my facebook somewhere but yeah um but my name was high c because i was the uh i was a high flyer and that i had no regard for my body whatsoever and i would just do flips onto off fences and onto grass and uh, i should have broke my neck about a hundred times so i guess that's my superpower is that uh when i was young i don't think i still have the superpower but I don't think I could be getting put through tables these days, but yeah, I was high C and um, uh, I did some death defying shit. (laughs) Well, that is definitely boy energy. So (laughs) (laughs) right in. Yeah. 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 Didn't you um, take a trampoline class earlier this year or last year and break your foot (laughs) last year? Yeah. Yeah. It was, I know I love that. And it's funny because I still had some of my that's a funny story. Okay, so yeah, my wife does circus arts, and she really wanted me to take a class. So I took trampoline. And because obviously, I have a lot of trampoline experience, although I was too embarrassed to tell them that I used to be a trampoline wrestler, because I didn't, I didn't <laughs> Why? know them very well. Why? Why oh, God. Well, well, because I was pretty good. And they were like, uh-huh. have you done this before? And I was like, no, no. you know, I was and then uh, but but I had that fearlessness that I think I carried over from when I was young and I was doing really well for a while, but then they had me in a harness and I was practicing standing front flips. And I think it was a combination of, of, of me user error plus the harness. I yeah landed on my left ankle a little oh wrong God. and it was, it was my first bone break in my entire life. And oh, it was wow. very, very unfortunate. So yeah, I have not been back because, um, uh, it was, I don't know. I do. I, I'm still into trampoline. 
Mm. But I think the broken ankle kind of put me off the uh, the classes. That, so that'll do it. Yeah, yeah. trampoline is super fun though. You know, and if you're going to be a wrestler, is, yeah. be a trampoline wrestler. You know? <laughs> and I can't really say anything because I sprained my foot just walking and just like existing <laughs> on two legs. So you know, it happens. Um, but we are going to be talking about season one as a whole today. We're going to do this a little bit differently. I think I still have our vague category outline, so we're going to go through those. But we might skip some of them. Um, like our first one, because I don't think we've gotten any more news about season four. Um, we will, no. we'll let you know when we do, <laughs> but, oh, um, yes. we're going to skip the name of the game also, which is where we talk about the specific episode because there are eight of them and we're going to kind of have just a looser conversation. If this is your first episode and you're looking for more detailed coverage of some of what we're about to talk about, please check out our previous eight episodes in which we unpack every episode on its own. And so let's go to Sup with the Soups, which is our recap of season one. All right. Uh, so this season begins with A-Train running through a kind young woman named Robin while she's holding hands with her dreamy boyfriend, Huey. Unsure what to do with his rage, Huey joins a ragtag group called The Boys, dedicated to taking down soups by any means necessary. Huey tries to plan a bug in the conference room of Vought Tower where a superhero team called the Seven meet, but this plan backfires <laughs> and they end up capturing and eventually killing one of the seven, an invisible fellow named Translucent who dies in a little backfire of his own. Meanwhile, Huey starts dating Annie, a.k.a. Starlight, the newest member of the Seven. She's not only has a horrifying first day on the team, but quickly finds out that just about everything she's been brought up to believe is a lie. Vought is an evil corporation and doesn't really care who you are or what you do, as long as you look like a superhero and make them money. Butcher, who leads slash bullies into following him, the boys, is still trying to find out what happened to his wife, Becca. He knows she was sexually assaulted by Homelander, captain of the Seven, and then she sat on a park bench for three hours before walking into oblivion. Butcher now hates all soups, even the female, a Japanese woman they found held captive and injected with Compound V as part of Homelander's plan to create supervillains. She turns out to be a Spice Girl and joins the team. And speaking of Compound V, it turns out soups aren't born that way and they don't get their powers from a higher power unless you count Homelander who can fly. They're injected with a blue serum called Compound V as babies as part of an evil program called Samaritan's Embrace. Oh, the irony. Butcher tries to turn Compound V over to the feds, but Vought, President, Light, Madeline Stilwell blackmails and manipulates her way into getting it squashed by the feds. Homelander's plan to create a super terrorist works, and it looks like the seven are a shoe-in to join the military. I'm not sure if that uh, works audially, if you can't see that I spelled it like Elizabeth Shoe-in, <laughs> because, you know, that's her last name. But I'm going to make it painfully obvious in case no one at home is laughing. All right. <laughs> Madeline and Homelander celebrate with some very milky sex. But there's trouble in paradise, and Homelander finds out that Madeline's been lying to him about Becca as well. While he's figuring out the truth, Huey rescues Frenchie, Kamiko, the female, and M.M. from a cell in Vought Tower. They got caught somewhere along the way. On the way out, A-Train comes to settle the score for Popclaw's death, but Starlight shows up to save the day. They have a really awesome fight that ends when A-Train has a heart attack due to all the compound V he's been injecting. Huey runs while Annie gives him CPR. Back to Butcher. 
Out of options, Butcher holds Madeline hostage and threatens to blow her up just to hurt Homelander, but his plan falls apart when Homelander lasers Madeline himself. He now knows that she's been lying to him about what really happened to Becca. She didn't kill herself and she didn't die giving birth to Homelander's baby. As it turns out, she had a healthy baby boy with his own laser eyes and has been living in a secret suburb for the past eight years. The season ends as Homelander drops Butcher on the lawn and Becca and baby Homelander walk out to say an awkward hello. And that's season one. That's so much stuff. It I is. Like, and I didn't even say everything. <laughs> I know. It's just wild to me that, like, there's only eight episodes. And that's so much plot and so much development. And then on top of that, just so much individual character development. And to have that all unfold in a way that doesn't feel forced. Mm-hmm. And everything feels, you know, valid and makes sense and also, it doesn't, I, I don't know, it's just wild and very impressive. That's right. all I can say. And none of the plot trails are duds, you know? every Like, there are some that I'm probably a little more invested in. Lots of times yeah. based on the whoever I have a crush on in the episode. But, like, <laughs> there, everything is interesting, you know? I would like to ask, because, you know, Jen, we've talked about your obsession with the boys. Oh, and yes. I'm coming to this as, like, a newbie. Mm-hmm. But I would love to hear about Randall's you know, journey with the boys, how you found the show and just kind of your initial impressions and thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. So like I, this show, like I, I mentioned um, before we got on the call, like this was a show that I was not excited about when it came out. I was working Mm. in media at the time and I remember writing up like the first trailer for it that came out and I knew people were excited about it. But for me, it just kind of seemed, I was, I already had superhero fatigue and I was like, yeah, "Yeah, well, I was just like all this and it was like Seth Rogen's producing and I, I like Seth Rogen, but I'm like, is this just like super bad, but for with superheroes, oh, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and I like super bad, but I don't know if I need that, you know, <laughs> so I was a little bit not that excited. But then I think like three or four episodes came out and people that I really trusted were like, oh, no, this show is actually really smart and really fun. And um, and so I remember, you know, it was on Amazon and I feel like I never used Amazon Prime. <laughs> like I never yeah. watched any shows on there. Mm-hmm. And so I uh, so I. Basically, I think was bored one night and I just threw on the first episode. And it's one of those shows that really kind of hooked me right away. And a lot of that has to do with the performances, like in the early going, because I think like story wise, it took me a few episodes, but I was so into Homelander, like Anthony Starr, (laughs) who is an actor I hadn't been familiar with. Uh, And... I was so into him, and then I really love Jack Quaid and everything I see him in. So I thought he was a really good protagonist, and Carl Urban is always a lot of fun. So I don't know. The vibes were good, so I stuck with it. And I think it was we'll, – we'll talk about it, but I was like a casual fan of the show. And mm. then once the Believe conference happened with <laughs> uh-huh. like Ezekiel and all that, that's when I became like, I love this show. And we'll talk more <laughs> about why I love that so much. But but yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at. And then, yeah, I've 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 been – uh, a week to week fan ever since it's and I, I occasionally get screeners like I know for season three I got screeners mm-hmm. uh, even though I wasn't covering it and I watched like every screener that I had like in one night which is because it's an easy show to binge so you know. yeah yeah same I realized like I fell in love with it like I think halfway through getting screeners for season three and I was like oh phew thank goodness now I don't have to yeah. wait um, but now we still have to wait so you're completely caught up on everything yeah yeah I've seen it all and you know I work at EW now and we're pretty dig- uh, diligent about covering boy stuff because it tends to do well for it us does, and yeah. the fandom is very 
the fandom is very vocal and they're very engaged. And mm-hmm. so, uh, yeah, so I feel like if something boys breaks, the writers, like some of the writers that I work with are very much attuned to that. So mm-hmm. I feel like I know everything <laughs> that there is to know about it because I'm always editing these stories. So Yeah. yeah I really slash- love oh, that God. part about it. Just it's surprising to me. I don't know. Because obviously, you know, a lot of us come from the horror sphere like that. That culture is very passionate. And obviously there's some superhero bros out there and (laughs) Comic-Con is a beast and that Mm. kind of thing. But like for a show like this to have its kind of own individual fandom that's so passionate and the fact that they support that, like there's there's like specific boys cons, there's specific like boys screenings and events. Mm -hmm. And to me, I find that, I don't know, a little surprising. Well, but also think, so cool. <laughs> yeah, I think some of it too is um, I, I have to look it up. I'm not a comic book guy, but I know that these comics were uh, extremely popular. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe it was Garth Ennis um, or Ennis. I, I don't know how to pronounce it. I heard someone say Ennis recently. But anyways, uh, yeah, I think like fans of Garth Ennis's work, like he also did Preacher. He has yeah. kind of a very, very, very devoted fan base. Um, have you guys people- seen Preacher? Uh, I, I never saw the show. No, no, no. I have but... seen. That's funny. I actually had. I don't think we've talked about that. No. <laughs> but yeah, and I've Seth seen Rogen Preacher that too. So he's obviously like a really big fan of Garth's work. And and I had a friend who gave me a Preacher comic when I was in college. I just never read comics, so I think I you yeah. know I sat on it for a year and never read it. Mm-hmm. I wish I had because I feel like I would get into it. But so I think some of that fandom, which exists very independent, I think of the Marvel ecosystem, mm-hmm. yeah. like because what the kind of stuff that Garth does is is darker and grittier and more um, uh, edgy and like and actually is deeply satirical and viciously so sometimes. So I mm-hmm. think that that aspect of it is 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 probably contributes to I think the individual. Like, this isn't the same fandom as Marvel. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a different kind of superhero fandom. And you guys should definitely have my colleague at Losers Club, our colleague at Losers Club, Dan Caffrey on, because I know he's a big fan of the comics. He did. Yeah, we have talked about that because I know he did read the comics. We and also want to say, too, because we are both caught up and we know all we know what's going to happen. But Rachel is not. She is only seen up to season (laughs) one. So for anyone that is listening along at home, too, we are not going to spoil anything. I've been doing my damnedest white knuckling through all these episodes to not spoil and just editing out when I accidentally do. Um, but <laughs> but I wanted to talk about some of these themes. And Randall, you were the first person I thought of when I was thinking about season one, because um, mostly because of the Believe Expo. But just, <laughs> you know, I know you're kind of in that world, too. And it's it's great because it's like, it feels like it's a positive fandom. You know, it does like there. Yeah. Are, I've written a couple of things like these um, super perils that don't make sense. Like there is critique of it. And I don't think that people look at it as like a perfect show, but there's no like release the Kripke cut kind of stuff, you know? <laughs> Sorry. Hey, there's a, there's an appreciation, I think, for that kind of that outsider art, that kind of gritty, slightly messy. I mean, that's what the boys is. And these yeah. characters support that like these characters are clearly not perfect and that's something that what like makes the show so great is that the fact that there there is no black and white here for the most part i think there's a few characters where it's like okay you're pretty clearly in that camp but yeah for the most part that it's that kind of nuanced vagary i think that is what at least to me appeals to this show so i would think that 
perhaps it's fans or, you know, not necessarily going to be so harsh. Yeah, there is the feeling, too, where it's like there is and this is where I think it was marketed as being sort of uh you know, the the hangover version of superhero movies. And that to me is not quite accurate. Like, yes, it right. is sort of X-rated at times, which is part of what makes it so fun. Mm-hmm. But that is also allows it to have more spontaneity, more teeth, and more, uh, you know, more, more genuine seething, like searing satire that you can't get from the majority of superhero entertainment. So people who like these stories, but they feel like the stuff that is mainly churned out by Hollywood is either for children, which a lot of it is, and that's fine. But it's like, um, you know, those movies are made to appeal to everyone. If we're mm-hmm. talking about like Marvel and even DC, these are yeah. movies that are made to appeal to the biggest possible audience. And The Boys isn't as concerned about that. It yeah. really just wants to, uh, it, it is a show for adults very aggressively. Yeah. And I think that, I think its biggest success in a lot of ways is uh, is ultimately – because I think we all agreed that initially we kind of rolled our eyes at the show because we're just yeah. like – it just like because I think it I think that marketing was like, oh, it's for teen boys was sort of the marketing. Mm. And mm-hmm. and it's really not. It's for I mean, I think it's for I think teen boys can obviously enjoy it. I think it would actually be, I kind of wish I had something like this when I was that age. Mm-hmm. But it is it is very thoroughly, I think, aimed towards, you know, uh, people who are perhaps bored with Marvel and DC. Yeah, yeah I'm going to be honest. I mean, it's called The Boys. Like, you, you know, you see that title and you're it's like. As, yeah. you know, I thought like the know. Lost Boys or something like that. I think that was what it was in my head, you know. It was like, oh, great. Just what, you know, I want to watch a oh, show about boys, a group yeah. of boys doing <laughs> boy fellas. things. Doing like, boy cool. stuff, yes. <laughs> yeah, but I love how like gritty it is. And we've definitely talked about the kind of X-rated nature of it, you know. And I think that's what makes it feel real, too, is because like when you look at somebody like Superman or Lois Lane, like they feel like archetypes. They don't feel like real people, you know. And like they, sterilized exactly yeah and i feel like this is if superheroes did actually exist this is the shit they would do you know this is the kind of shit they would get up to and and somebody like annie would be the anomaly rather than the norm. right yeah right yeah like this idea i think the idea of an of someone with absolute power who is thoroughly good which is what a lot of we assume a lot of superheroes to be like the captain america type like that is their virtue is that they use all this power for good it's mm-hmm. and that's totally fine i think for children but the reality is that that's like a very silly thing to believe and um yeah. and and especially if you want to say anything about our current culture it's like when you really ask what would someone do in the world that we have created with mm-hmm. absolute power it is not you know, help the poor. <laughs> right, so. exactly. Yeah. And that's why when Annie comes in and she's like, I want to save the world, they kind of like, they're like, sure, yeah, mm-hmm, that's a great mm-hmm. line. You know, nobody really believes her because that's, and I mean, I think even she has some kind of conflicting like decisions to make because she's a human being, you know, yeah. and sometimes saving the world puts her in danger or like goes against her mother or, you know, somebody she's attracted to. So, oh, yeah. I mean, she's definitely. You know, she has a good heart, obviously, but there's she also likes being famous. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing that I think is also so smart is just the simple act of collapsing celebrity and superheroes, uh, at least approaching superheroes through the lens with which we view celebrities in the world we understand and that we know is one of the smartest things to distinguish uh, this show. And Mm -hmm. I think that that ultimately uh, 
undercuts the superheroes here because to be in that position, you have to also be one of the most famous people in the world. And that brings with it endorsement deals, money, movies, celebrity in the way that we understand it. So it's like there is no purity really in a lot of that. It is because it's all, you know, and that's the thing is there's no... Um, ethical consumption under capitalism, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I don't want to be annoying about it, but it is like that is sort of the what it's getting at here, which is yeah. that when you wrap capitalism around, um, if you want to call it charity or uh, public service, community service, if it is all motivated by capital, then it is inherently corrupt. And that mm-hmm. is what, you know, this show is very much about is when you collapse like, uh, you know, community service with uh a corporate it, within like within a corporate entity uh you're not going to be getting the most uh you know earnest or pure version of that so yeah and it's like what they say about people that are running for president is like you could have the best of intentions but anyone who is going to run for that office has some <laughs> degree of narcissism you know exactly why else anybody would you politics, do it you know? yeah anybody in politics is at least a little bit of a psychopath because yeah. who else is able to weather what that work entails. You know exactly. what I mean? Yeah. We also made the comparison. I mean, you just have to look at like athletes, like professional yeah. athletes. Mm-hmm. Like these are people where it's like, in theory, they're just paid a lot of money to play a sport, right? But, you know, that top tier of athletes, they're also, like you said, endorsement deals. They're having to do a lot of public speaking. They're having to go to, and a lot is required of them outside of what they're actually being paid to do, like for the the large part, and just how those celebrity ideals and what is expected on, like, of them is kind of suddenly thrust upon them. Like, I just can't imagine having to balance that sort of life when it's like, I just want to play basketball or whatever, you know, it's like, yeah, you have to play basketball, but you also can't say certain things and you have to wear certain things and all these other boxes that you have to check in order to do the the thing that you love or the thing that you set out to do initially. Like that is wild to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even, even more so like in this world, you mentioned the phrase thrust upon you. And I think when in this world of superheroes, it's like, these people are born with these powers. Yeah. Or, you know, as we learn, there is it's more complicated, but mm-hmm. they at least believe that they were born with this power. And and regardless, even when we consider the revelations of season one and compound V and everything, that is still happens. They're not aware of that. That is something that they are born into. That mm-hmm. is something that there is an obligation from birth to utilize mm-hmm. that. And yeah. and obviously like you are most rewarded in this world when you do so in a way that benefits the corporate machine. And so yes. it it very much becomes about how can I use my powers uh, to get attention and mm-hmm. brand myself. And, you know, because that's that's another thing oh, I love gosh. about just the idea of, <laughs> yeah. of them having these superhero identities is mm-hmm. you have to get a good catchy one because... Yeah. <laughs> Because you want to be marketable, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that's something, no spoilers, I think that, I can't remember if that's something they touch on in later seasons, but I feel like it is. Like, just the mm-hmm. general notion of, of like, you know, how am I most digestible? And that's something that I want to talk about later, too, is the ways that uh, the show shows how even the most, like, horrific things can be commodified and packaged yeah. and made into something digestible. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, so I think, and I think that's what gives it that extra level is just this general idea of having a supernatural talent rather than a cultivated talent. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like a, a, a football player works their whole life to become great at football. And that obviously is is to be admired. But it's like, and, and you know, the way Annie talks about it, like the 
superhero powers are also something to be cultivated. But, you know, someone can always choose to not play football anymore. Yeah, right. The, when you are a superhero, it's kind of in, it's like, well, this is given to you by God if you want to look at it that way. And mm-hmm. that is the way they look at it in a lot of ways, which we'll talk about. Yeah. But it's like, that to me is what gives it gives the satirical edge like it's not just a one-to-one sort of like mapping of celebrity or athlete yeah. or actor or anything like that it is this um okay let's take that notion as we understand it and then weave in this this sort of divine notion of of a of a supernatural power and what that means and that to me is like super super interesting so i also just yeah. love on the flip side how you've got like these like second and third and fourth tier uh-huh. superheroes oh yeah you yeah. know like these people who also were given you know given this gift but for one reason or another just haven't been able to like you know break into that top tier and are just destined to a life of like i don't know disappointment i guess yeah, convention <laughs> not living not living up to you know what the world expected of you and just the fact that that exists i feel yeah. like is something it's like I know it exists in the in the actual comic book world, but to see it put on screen this way, to just know that these, you know, the the pop claws and the mesmers and all those, they're just out there existing, kind of doing these mediocre things, is just so funny to me. It's like, yes, that's what would happen. Not everybody's going to be a Captain America, right? Right, and Mesmer specifically, I think, is a great character because. He is, you know, someone who was who had showed so much promise when he was young, right? <laughs> yeah. And then he becomes this kind of this kind of loser, but he's still got the power, but he's never really been able to brand himself properly or use it properly. Like and uh and and so yeah, I and I think like that notion, the treating superheroes like celebrities, is is it also helps unshackle like this genre, this you know, the that it's playing in. From the sort of good bad dichotomy that's inherent, I think, in a lot of Hollywood and fan- like fantasy and superhero mm-hmm. storytelling, because like Mesmer turns on on the boys, like not because he has an agenda necessarily, yeah. but because he wants to be one of the good guys again. That's what he says. Yeah. He's like, oh, and and you can take, well, you can take that like multiple ways, like. Maybe that is mm-hmm. a pure, maybe that is a pure thing. Like he does want to help people, but then also is it, but then he goes, well, I just want to be, uh, I think he says something about like, I just want to be in the building again. I want to be at Vaught again. Like, yeah. so I really, he just wants a job. Like he wants yeah. to be useful. Or he wants and, to uh, identify with the good guys team again, whatever yes. the, that is, you know? And yeah, the notion, that's one of the things I want to talk about a little bit later is is the notion of I love what it does with good guys and bad guys, right? Like yes. the notion of being good, it explores that concept with a lot of layers. And that to me is is also something I think that really helps uh benefit the show is that it it makes us question the notion of like what is good, right? Mm-hmm. And in this world. And so I think when when Mesmer says that, there's a lot of I don't know, there's like a lot of weight to it because mm-hmm. I think he's trying to say, uh I want to be, it's like hard to phrase, but it's like, he's like, I want to be useful. I want to be part of the machine. I want to, I think like his notion of what is good relates to his own self-worth, right? Like he wants to feel like a person again. And Mm -hmm. so when he's not using his powers, and I think a lot of the superhero identity in this world is wrapped up in, uh, you know, which is something we do is wrapped up in our own talents. And mm-hmm. we I think once you do that, you kind of lose your own humanity a little bit. Yeah. It's uh, and that to me is is kind of heartbreaking. Um, yeah. Yeah. So well, and it's public perception too. you know, at a certain point, like because you're not getting drafted and joining a team like all of a sudden you've been playing college football for 
you know, four years and now you're on this team. It's like your entire identity, your entire, like every minute of your life, you are wrapped up in this identity. And I imagine it's really easy to start equating your yourself like you just lose who you actually are like it wasn't until what episode seven that we found out what homelander's name is and it just and blew that was like way that he would me. even have one you know because <laughs> yeah. he just is homelander and it just like the the soups that we see in their secret identity clothes or street clothes and the soups that never take them off i just think it's it's yeah. fascinating and it like it it is a machine and as we have been like really dissecting these episodes I've found a lot more sympathy for these characters, you know, especially like the bad ones, because especially like people like a train in the deep, you know, who I feel like probably are maybe kind of shitty, but also kind of good guys, too. And they just they've gotten caught up in this machine and it's just well, that's the them thing, around, right? You know, yeah, like you it's hard to really hate them because yeah. they were basically treated like gods for so long mm-hmm. that, and this is what happens with celebrity too, is we treat people like gods and then suddenly they're torn down. And, 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 um, you know, this is kind of what some of David Lynch's like later work is about is the, is the, the, the absolute gulf that exists between people who are, you know, revered and people and how quickly you can go from being revered to being shunned. Yeah. And yeah. that is so jarring. And so I think people, and then you, so you never want to leave that top revered tier. And that's what A-Train is doing is that mm-hmm. he's getting older. He's losing a little bit of what made him special. And so he's just roiding himself out to the point of death, you know, and he's also sacrificing the relationships that mean something to him in order to protect himself and protect his status and his place. And that's like the tragedy of the character, right? Um, Even though he is such an asshole. So, you know, that's the thing is the show's good at it, you know, at, at, um, at giving depth to characters without necessarily making them good, right? It's Mm -hmm. like we can understand a-Train's sort of entire journey and why he's so desperate and so cutthroat because that's the only way for someone at his level to operate. Right. And, um, and that, you know, rots your brain a little bit. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, like we are introduced to these characters as archetypes and like we essentially get baseball cards of them or like, here's him, here's his outfit, here's his talents, blah, blah, blah. And then every episode just continues to deconstruct this and add layers of humanity. And it just it's it's such smart writing. Yeah. Like one of the best things this show does is whenever it shows us like the the movies right or the mm-hmm. or the the commercial ads all that stuff uh-huh. when we get to see their public face especially the deep who i think yes. is the funniest character like <laughs> chase crawford is so fucking good mm-hmm. at doing the bullshit smiley smile for the cameras kind of gig he's so fucking funny yeah. um and i'll talk about that more later but yeah Go yeah ahead, there is a i'm not gonna spoil it but one of my absolute favorite moments from the entire season i think it, or series is in season two and it has to do with the deep and <laughs> when we and you probably know what i'm talking about randall <laughs> um all right well since we're talking about our bad boys let's go into our first category and you know i didn't even think about this but i think randall i'm going to be especially interested to hear you talk about some of these bad guys because i know you love a bully you know um, me i love bad <laughs> Boys, yeah. <laughs> you do love the bad boys. Um, let's start with Homelander because I feel like he is the baddest of them all. I have just 
fallen in love with Anthony Starr throughout this season. Like, I don't think I really appreciated how well he is playing this character and how, like, well-written this character is um, until we started really kind of deconstructing it all to talk about these episodes. But, um, Randall, what do you think about Homelander? I think it's one of the best performances on TV in, like, the last 10 years. <laughs> I and, agree. Um, I think he's he's made for this. Although it is funny because I grew up like worshiping uh, Mark Paul Gosseler, and he looks so much like young Mark Paul <laughs> oh Gosseler with the with the blonde yeah. hair that I it, I I I think about it all the time. I'm like Mark Paul would have been <laughs> fucking great for this if it was made like 20 years ago, you know. Mm. And um, but I I think Anthony Starr is absolutely fantastic, and and you know, I mean he obviously is. I think the uh, well, there's something so pathetic about him, and that's what, like, that's what I think this show does so well, and it really does tease this out throughout the series, which is that he is the most dangerous, mm-hmm. cl- like he is, he is homicidal, he is unfeeling, sociopathic, and terrifying, but he is also just like he has the the uh, countenance and the uh, emotional sort of maturity of of like an eight year old boy. Like, <laughs> uh-huh. and that's we really see that with the Madeline Stillwell character, where she. <laughs> You know, I mean, yep. it's like, and you mentioned the the milky sex and it's like, uh. yeah, it's like there is this, uh, she understands the only way to, and that's why she's like the one who corrals him, right? She's the one mm-hmm. who knows how to treat him, which is not with sort of fawning respect, but rather like he wants a mother because mm-hmm. he never really never had, had that one. sort of, yeah. and, um, and that doesn't make him weak in, well, it doesn't make him like vulnerable in the way that we associate with like depth or relatability it makes him it 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 exposes him as someone who is how do i phrase this like he is i guess pathetic is the best word like because it doesn't show depths to his character it just shows that he is completely alone and uh, doesn't understand human emotion in any way, shape, or form. And that makes him even more dangerous in some ways. And he also has no desire to learn that. But yeah. it's like if a, if an older woman is going to cradle him against her breast, he will gladly do that because he doesn't know what that experience is like and it's comforting for him. But then, um, but then he'll also laser her eyes out because he is uh, a sociopath. Right. So, yeah. yeah. I don't think he He's really also- sees them as human beings, you know? No. Like, oh, he'll totally. talk about, like, they're just people. Like, we can just uh, – and the unsaid thing is we can just kill them, you know? They don't matter. Well, and I think that's kind of what I'm getting at, too, is is he wants love so bad, but not the kind of – like, I think that that kind of love, the mothering kind of love, is something he really desires, but it also scares him. Yeah. I think yeah. – but he, he wants to be worshipped. He wants mm-hmm. to be com- – he wants people to kiss his feet. And that, you know, relates to, I think, the more spiritual aspects of it, which do you mind if I talk about some of that? I think it's – I think yeah, it's sure. interesting to it. talk about it with Homelander mm-hmm. specifically um, because, you know, I think what we learn about Homelander – in the Believe Expo episode, which is this Christian conference that is very Hillsong-y. Do you guys know Hillsong? Yep, uh-huh. Oh, yes. <laughs> Good docuseries. I know of it. Never on... been there. Yeah. Well, there's never... a great docuseries on uh, Hulu right now about it. But And it's so funny because the Ezekiel character is so fucking real. Like, I've met that guy. <laughs> yeah, and, hey, um, come on. Listen in. I know. Where he's like, oh he's like you know, Jesus will just, he'll just sit down and say, bro, listen. Bro. Yeah, like, so he's, might as well be sitting in a backwards like chair. You know? Anybody that's been to like a Young Life event, like oh, yeah. yep, yep. 
I mean, yeah, watch the, like, Carl Lentz, who is sort of the famous Hillsong pastor who kind of got outed for, you know, infidelity amongst many other um, things. He's, these guys, like, there are so many of these types of people mm-hmm. who, uh, they, prom- and the thing is, it's always going to work, too, which is that yeah. for a church to really take off, you need showmanship. You need yes. uh, a sideshow because the people want it to be entertainment. Mm-hmm. And that is just, that is human nature in a lot of ways. I mean, we associate church with boring, right? Because when we were kids, we would go watch somebody drone for a while. But mm-hmm. hey, if you watch like the Hillsong doc or or anything about that, they have this music that sounds like Maroon 5 and shit, right? And then yep. they have, yep. um, and then they, <laughs> and then they've got this young hot guy with tattoos come on stage. And if you really listen to what he's preaching, it's, it's pretty lunk-headed stuff mm. but he can do it with such dynamism that yeah. and there's is, a little guitar noodling underneath yeah. it you know yeah. yeah and that is so deeply effective because and that's why a lot of churches these days like they'll barely talk about jesus like joel Osteen, you'll barely hear jesus's mm. name if you go to uh his church because he's a motivational speaker he's tony robbins but he just has a church yeah. and that's very effective because people don't really want to engage with self-reflection or jesus or uh these these larger supernatural notions of faith a lot of times when they go to church they just want to feel good about themselves you know they want to feel like they're connected to something larger and i'm not even opposed to that i think like i think church like the first and foremost quality of it is to build community Mm -hmm. and that is what any church should do but it's like but at the same time if the people that are doing it like ultimately don't give a shit about you which ends up being the case if they are exploiting you for money or labor or anything else which is very much the case at hillsong it is is, um, you know, it's it's not a healthy proposition. Yeah. And so, but anyways, I, that's that's just my Ezekiel aside. He's a great character because, uh, like, he, what he's preaching is, like, so stupid. Where, he, like, where uh-huh. he's like, you know, he does, all he says is, like, he's like, uh, Jesus says, you don't have to, I don't have to prove myself to you because you believe with faith. And that's right. awesome, bro. And that's like, you know, <laughs> I've been to a lot of services, like, a lot of times, preachers will just say that but just with a lot of fancy words mm-hmm. and you know and i'm not saying all churches are like that i go to church like i'm i i think that there is a lot of value uh to a really good preacher and really good uh worship and all of that but it's like but a lot of times it is about the dynamism rather than the message and so i i do like that it, how it plays up the sideshow aspect especially when homelander is out there levitating right yeah and mm-hmm. this is and and then he lowers his feet like into the crowd which is very much like oh, oh my wash my feet with your you know like women washing jesus's feet with their hair right uh-huh. like he only gives them his feet or, or and the and the hem of his cape which is like you know the hem of the garment with with christ and um uh like people just want to touch that hem of the garment and he so he very much sees himself as god Mm -hmm. and so that's why i love when you play uh like when huey gets to go to like the fifteen thousand dollar backstage thing uh they actually baptize everyone like it's not even an option it's like you're all gonna get baptized and homelander's the one who's gonna do it Mm -hmm. which i love because it very much uh i think aligns with this character very much seeing himself as a godlike figure Mm -hmm. and i think that uh um and that, and so much of it has to do, and Ezekiel talks about this too, which is the, con- it's sort of the conflation of Christ's powers, the ability to walk on water to, uh, you know, uh, cre- you know, endless fish and bread and wine, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, equating those powers with those of the superheroes, like, 
it, it's powerful for a lot of reasons. And number one, it gives the soups divine authority, right? Yes. Like, and this dovetails obviously with Homelander's desire to bring the U.S. military into the authority of the seven because authority is what he wants. And this is very much more of a satire, if anything, of like the uh, lead up to the um, to the uh, 2004 election, which is when the evangelical right like really, really kicked into gear. They really were trying to collapse church and state as mm-hmm. much as they could, like very actively. There yeah. were very, very intense efforts on on the part of the you know George uh, W. Bush campaign to um, to basically tell the world's mo- like the U.S.'s most prominent and in and influential preachers that for them to not speak about politics and encourage their parishioners to vote uh f- with their values right that was kind of the whole thing was vote your values instead of caring about the economy or anything else mm-hmm. it's like vote your values and uh and they said it was like a disservice to Christ if you didn't bring those things up in church. That was very much a coordinated movement on the part of the government. And that is very much what Homelander's trying to do here, yeah. uh, which is to collapse all of these things and flatten all these things into one. But the more interesting aspect of the divine authority is the existential question that like Homelander, Starlight, A-Train, The Deep, they're all wrestling with, which is that the idea that they were born, they were anointed by yeah. something that is capital G good. Yes. And when they discover that they were more or less made in a lab, that strips them of that specialness and they can suffer that, but you don't want the public to know about that because that immediately demeans you in their eyes. Because they all they, what they want people to think is that God chose them. And that's why Ezekiel becomes this like, or at least in this season, is such an important arm of the propaganda machine for the superheroes because he is very much like what you see Jesus do. Like we're just variations of Jesus is what he's saying. Yeah. Jesus walked on water. Homelander flies. I can stretch my arms. These are talents that were given to us by God. And the thing about divine authority, like, uh, is it frees us from culpability or kindness? Mm -hmm. It reframes the idea of what makes a good guy. You're not good because you, you know, save people. You're good because God made you and people have to respect that because God is good. And that to me is, is really, really fascinating. And what I think Homelander is, is very much, uh, you know, um, beholden to and really believes I think in a lot of ways so um, so yeah it's like and I think that just really resonates a lot with society because we're all obsessed with being good right like we want to find shortcuts to being good mm-hmm. and uh, and so yeah and then Homelander even has that line like wasn't I chosen to save you right mm-hmm. and uh, and so you know the implication is like he's not just saving you from criminals he's saving you from the existential threats he's saving you from Satan he's saving you from uh, you know depression and sadness sadness and and emptiness and all of these other things like he is the one and so i don't know that to me is something i i really really and i i you know i picked up on all of it obviously in the first the first time i watched it but it really hit me re-watching it and really seeing how hard they lean into it and it really did capture to me something that is unfortunate about sort of modern and i'm sure that i don't want to say modern like i think christianity in general um church culture and tent culture, if you you know, like yeah. uh, uh, revival culture, which is that church doesn't become about the everyday community service, which is really what churches 
were meant mm-hmm, to be mm-hmm. and what Christ wanted them to be, it becomes about miracles. You know, it becomes mm-hmm. about the mm-hmm. special abilities that we bring. It becomes about divine gifts. You know, when I used to be evangelical uh, back in the early 2000s, it was like they talked a lot about uh, tongues and prophecy and discernment and healing. And these were all things we could get if we believed enough, right? If we prayed hard enough, then we were able to prophesy. We were able to lay hands. And, you know, I've I've gone to so many church tent revivals and I've seen people like lay hands and be healed. And it's, it's fascinating to me, like that, how you can carry that over. Like that's essentially what the show is doing is carrying that over. And it's like that this whole notion that these gifts that you have are, uh, were given to you by a higher power and what that does to the people in the audience who witness these quote unquote miracles all the time. I mm-hmm. mean, stuff like Jonestown was built on that, you know, yeah. like Jim mm-hmm. Jones used to, uh, used to, uh, uh, take chicken livers and act like somebody had coughed them out. Like, and say, oh, this person's cancer. They coughed out their cancer and I'm holding it in my hand and show everybody that, you know, it's like that sideshow aspect is so, I think, important to uh, building a large, you know, church community these days, which is really sad and cynical. And that's, I think, really what these superheroes are doing. And that's really, I think what I'm getting at is like, that is Homelander's ultimate goal is for everyone to worship him as if he's a god. But not only is he content with that, he wants he's like, well, I have divine authority. I want the authority of the military. I want the authority of the corporations. I want the authority of everything. And that's what makes him, I think, even more dangerous than people like A-Train or The Deep who really just want to be famous. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He wants actual power. Yeah. It's also that like unwavering blind loyalty. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can't question, like if you question me, you're questioning this, 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 and this. And if you're questioning those, like, then you're not really a believer in whatever that structure is, right? Exactly. You collapse all of it into one thing, like one person who represents all these things. And that's really like, it's it's fundamentalism, like within religion, it's Mm -hmm. you deny one thing, might as well throw the book in the trash, right? And that is like the most dangerous kind of power where there's no nuance. It is just uh, one single person who represents all that is good. Good and holy. Yeah. And there's no yeah. accountability and there's no exactly. like and that's even what Ezekiel like says. He's like, Don't don't question me. It's just because I say it. You believe it because I say it. And yeah. that's why I think they need like you could look at Vaught like just a kind of different kind of church organization because it is pushing these deities. It's just not calling it scripture or it's not backing it up with scripture. It's backing it up with miracles, which is something that I think church lots of times will use scripture to say well this happened we don't have to see it but it did happen so it's it's like using these different kinds of magical kind of faiths and i say magical i probably am offending someone i don't mean to be offensive oh, it's fine. but um and it's you see it in corporate culture too though right like, even yeah with like, a, like, like you think about like even just because she's been in the news lately, like Elizabeth Holmes and like Theranos, oh, like yeah. all like like her the entire company was just blindly following this person, and you know people that would question would just get like fired oh, yeah. or sued yeah. and like Booted. sign this NDA and you know just like kicked out the door and like nothing was happening behind the scenes. But how long did it take right. for that to actually come out and just? Yeah, so you see it also outside of religious groups. Yeah, yeah, and I I like too that Starlight sort of represents. You know, she she like has this pure relationship with God yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. But then, and she is excited to go to the the expo at first, but then realizes how much it has been, uh, you know, defiled in a lot of these ways by all the, um, you know, the 
um, what's the right word I'm looking for? Like all these all these uh, booths, right? That are selling uh-huh. shit. Everybody's selling shit, and everything per uh, exists as an extension of the Vought brand. And mm-hmm. like I said, this is just another propaganda arm by yeah. Vought at this point. And that's not to say that the you know religion hasn't always been weaponized in these ways, but uh, but it is interesting. I'm glad that she can at least represent something a little more pure and a little bit like this isn't what I grew up experiencing. Yeah, and yeah. um and i i love that that gives her that extra little level of innocence where it but it does make her very naive in a lot of ways which i think is important to that character well and i like starlight's like relationship to all of this too because i don't feel like the show at all is anti church or anti religion oh, no. or anti god and i like that we have somebody who i think kind of like i agree a lot more with starlight than i probably would if anybody at that show like my and my relationship with the church is really complicated and i've talked about it before but like i i believe in god and starlight does too she's just like what what are we doing here this is this is not what this ain't it it. this is not what it's supposed to be and i think but if you're constantly distracting with the miracles instead of like what you were saying like the day-to-day service in the community then you don't have to get into the conversations about why are we excluding this person from the shelter or why are we not feeding this group of people when we should because it's just the miracle and oh we're so blinded by this this awesome man that's levitating that we don't have to yeah. think critically about what we're agreeing to. Just give them the show. Like exactly. that's, I mean, yeah, just keep them entertained. And yeah. then yeah. nobody has to has to actually care about anything because we're entertained. You know? Yeah, so. exactly. And if well, you don't believe, you're just, going to hell, you know? And distractions, you know, don't, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have time to read the indictment because we've got <laughs> this going on over here, right? Uh-huh. You know, like look over here. Don't you you don't have time to look over there. Like <laughs> right. and just constantly like having other things fly up to distract you and keep you more busy that seem like a higher priority. Whether, you know, good priority entertainment wise or bad priority, like uh right, manufactured right. terrorists, you yeah. know, blowing up buildings <laughs> and stuff. So well, and it's interesting to see Homelander because like if you look at his arc over the course of this season, like he begins as like another employee, like he feels like he's he's the captain of the seven, but he is still like kind of at the beck and call of Madeline or he does what he is told. Yeah. He like reads the talking points and a lot of his struggle is to try to take control of his own narrative. And I think this is the moment when he's levitating above the crowd that he really gets the confidence to start doing that because he has become like this Joel Osteen kind of figure. You know, he's he's harnessed the the miracle in a way that will kind of let him get away with all of the shit that he's doing you know and he's like well, hey, yeah. i can do this these are my people he's also you realizing know? like he kills this whole plane of people and he kills that politician you know early in mm-hmm. the series where uh the guy who was basically uh bribing or blackmailing uh madeline like he gets away with it right yeah he keeps getting away with no everything. consequences so like, well i got no consequences <laughs> they need me i think he's yeah. realizing they need me more than i need them yeah and so uh you know he starts to flex that power and the public I think he realizes like, oh, I don't need you. I've mm-hmm. got these millions of people that support me. Right. And yeah. so like, you you know, you better get in line behind them. So, yeah. And that kind of, I think he finally realizes that at the Believe Expo, I think. Well, yeah. I think what's interesting about him too is because we don't know, like he comes into the season knowing about Compound V. I don't know if he quite knows everything from the Do they all is- know? Like no. the deep? In, I don't like, think so. Okay. I, I think didn't it's think so either. just Homelander thought, but... that knows. I mean, A-Train obviously well, A-Train. knows Compound V exists, but I think there is right. a difference between knowing that Compound V exists and knowing that that is the only way to create a superhero, except mm-hmm. okay. that 
um, Homelander was raised in a lab. So he knows all of this is a lie. He knows that he has come from this super cynical Mm. place. And so he's not constantly fighting this dichotomy of like who I used to be and who I am becoming as Homelander. Like he's always been Homelander. There isn't anything else. And if he loses that, like A-Train does have a brother. And I imagine the Deep like has some frat bros he could go hang out with or something. But like Homelander has nobody. Like, And we see him in this little cell and it's really sad. It's this tiny little like three-year-old just with this blanket in this empty room. And so... You know, I think he is more easily able to just kind of embrace this identity because it's finally an identity for him. You know, Mm, but he has no, you know, not only does he not have any accountability publicly, he doesn't have any accountability personally. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. he doesn't have anybody in his life. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, And like he doesn't, he's got, you know, he literally has nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he can kill anybody with literally the blink of his eyes. You know, I just, (laughs) the amount of power and what that would do to you, it's just something that I can't really wrap my brain around. But like, he just, when he kills her, it's just like he just opens his eyes and she's dead, you know? And that would be a tricky tricky relationship. I know, I love it. (laughs) Um, But I love, love Homelander so much. He, I think Anthony Starr's performance in this is, fantastic and i've seen interviews with him too where he's kind of got like killian murphy's kind of like resting angry face you know where like you'll see him in interviews and they'll like be like i'm gonna kill you like popping into his brain (laughs) it's just so funny but he's got this like beaming like poster face too it's just it's so frightening and awesome to see how quickly he can flip back and forth between scary and dreamy and oh no yeah take a selfie with me kid you know just love it um all right well let's move on we've been talking about him we've said i've said he's my favorite um even though he is deeply despicable in season one let's talk about the deep um (laughs) So funny. And I also am saying this after I finally finished Gossip Girl. So I am a (laughs) big Chase Crawford fan, too. But it's really funny to see him do comedy in this way. And I love starting like the second thing we'd see him do is sexually assault somebody who is going to be our hero and he is still a bad guy like I feel like one of the things Rachel and I've been talking about is the show's not letting him off the hook it's just showing (laughs) hook like a fish you know Um, (laughs) it's just showing that there is more to this person you know well I think too it's about like I I think that what they're interested in with that character is like what it is when someone goes from being top of the world to bottom of the world like so quickly Mm. and and the thing is he's pathetic and shitty even when he's being exploited later Mm. and i think that that's the thing is the character is not necessarily growing emotionally he's just realizing that uh he's he's coping with his lack of power and his uh-huh. lack of res- the lack of respect that people are giving him, which I love that scene when, you know, he's basically taken to, uh, you know, uh, shuffled off the seven, put in Sandusky, Ohio, <laughs> Cedar Point, where I grew up going. Oh, wow. uh, oh yeah. That was the, the, like, I never went to Six Flags growing up. I always went to Cedar Point because it was closer to mm-hmm. Detroit where I lived. And, um, 
And yeah, and and there's a, I believe there's like a, yeah, there is a water park there. I can't remember mm-hmm. if there's a Sea World in the area, but regardless, it makes sense that they would send him there. But that scene where he like kind of comes home with the local girl and she starts like fetishizing and like jamming her hands in his, uh, in his gills yeah. mm-hmm. and essentially assaults him in, you know, yeah. a similar way that I'm sure he's assaulted people. And I think there's just something really interesting about the powerlessness that he has in that scene. And, uh, and and then his desperation to sort of build himself back up, like even him writing his memoir, which I love that it's called Deeper, a memoir. Oh my uh, gosh, perfect. That's, he's trying to sort of recapture his myth, right? Because his mm-hmm. myth is fading. His myth is going to be forgotten. And he understands that he's going to become another washed up superhero. And he's like, I need to keep my myth out there. And uh, and then and I think he starts to realize he's lost all control, which is why he like shaves his head at the end, right? And he's like trying to reclaim something yeah. about himself. Like, uh, and the only people who really love him, I think he understands, are are the sea creatures, which is such a funny bit uh, just throughout the whole series. Is, <laughs> a good is, friend uh, his... showed me this box. It was a porpoise. <laughs> <laughs> and he's so he's so like simple and deadpan, and uh, like his line deliveries to me make me laugh almost I think more than anything else on this show Same. like even the, just the line where they said there's a dairy queen nearby and like the guy was a dairy queen nearby and he just goes to, like blizzards and stuff and he yes. just says it like so earnestly like that's the kind of shit that absolutely kills me mm-hmm. so but he, you know ultimately like he's just a stooge like um and that's what I like is they're not interested in in emotional redemption for that character. Mm. They're interested in uh, putting him through all the things that he has put other people through. Not in service to him growing, but rather in service to this is kind of what you have to do to get back in is you Mm -hmm. have to debase yourself in a lot of ways. And I mean, I might be getting, I think I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit uh, into Mm. where that character ends up going, but you can sort of see the seeds that are planted at, at the end of season one, so... Yeah. Yeah. I think we talk about, we have said many times, like he's just a beautiful idiot. Yeah. You know, like, he I called thinks it, he, yeah. I called him a tragic dope in my notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he, you know, and it's just kind of funny to see him. Like, at first, he thinks he's just, you know, he gets in trouble and he's like, all right, I'll do the press conference. I'll say the statement. I'll go to Sandusky. And it's like, not he's in, porpoise. he thinks he's in timeout. Yeah. Yeah. Not on yeah, porpoise. It's a lot more than that. Yeah. 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 And then he's like, all right, they're calling everybody back. I'm going to pack my bags. And they're like that moment when he realizes like he's not getting called back. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like suddenly like a small amount of reality hits him and to watch him just absolutely crumble under that, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, shave his head and just like immediately fall apart is amazing. Yeah. I think they don't like they don't allow him that much humanity, which is good, I think, because, like, like I said, I don't. The, one of the reasons I think they're not interested in this emotional growth for this character is that they play REM's "Everybody Hurts" during mm-hmm. it, which is yeah. a great song that is nevertheless a meme. You know yes. what I mean? It's yeah. what you. It's it is the prototypical feeling sorry for yourself song. Mm-hmm. Yes, and yes. for them to play that during those scenes and. I think it sort of it it signals how the show views him, which yeah. is that he is very self pitying and he's very pathetic and he's ridiculous, and that's mm-hmm. I think. But but Chase Crawford is so good at selling it, and like he gets his little Scotty J Boogie Nights moment with like I'm a fucking idiot, you know, and yeah. it's and it it is great because it is like. It just shows, yeah, again, I'll just say it's the, he's pathetic in a very different way than Homelander is. You know what I mean? Yes. Oh, yes. 
But what I think really kind of unites these characters is that there's this really deep, like, current of insecurity with both of them. Oh, because, yeah. and, and Anthony Starr a while ago gave an interview where he said that Homelander is actually the weakest character. He may be physically mm-hmm. the strongest, but he is the weakest because he is so fragile and he is so insecure. And I think it's so interesting to see Deep when we see that he's got these uh, gills and that I think that's probably why he wanted a blowjob instead of having sex with Starlight. Like, he is really Mm. insecure about taking his uniform off. And I think that his self-worth is so tied up in this myth that they've created about him that he also, like Homelander, he's like, I don't have anything else. Like, what what am I if I don't have this? And that's why he starts shaving his head. And it just, but it's just so fucking funny. (laughs) It's like such a funny response too, because I think like everybody can probably relate. It's like when you get out of a like you get out of a bad relationship or like go uh-huh. through a breakup and you're immediately like I'm dying my hair. I'm like oh, a yeah. whole new person. I've threatened like- to shave my head many times. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna do it one it's just, day. <laughs> it's just it's just like such an impulsive, emotional, reactionary thing that also seems like so childish. Like rather than actually like reflecting on anything, uh-huh. it's just like I'm going to pout and shave my head. But if he starts <laughs> reflecting, like, where does it end? Like, where is the mm-hmm. bottom of this? You know, not to pun again, mm-hmm. but like, how much deeper is this, like, shame going to go? Maybe we'll find out in his memoir, I guess. Let's see. What I would <laughs> love to read that memoir. You know how they wrote, like, the diary of Ellen Rimbauer for Rose Red? Like, I would just love for somebody to write deeper. Well, you know, they did that with um the Ant-Man movie, too, because I guess, like, Paul Rudd's character wrote a memoir in the Quantum Mania movie, and oh, then yeah. they actually sold it. Like um, they had someone actually write it and sell it. So uh, yeah, I just I saw that like through my you know at EW we I think we ran a story about it, which was very funny. So you know that's I would absolutely read oh. deeper a memoir. Oh, so. that would be hilarious. Hey, Kripke, if you're listening, I know I know you're a fan, so you know get on or at it. least a comic, a graphic we'll novel version it. of it or something. Yes. <laughs> Lots of fish mm. stories and porpoise talk. And- <laughs> I mean, I, I am curious about his powers. Like, does he have to be swimming to hear the fish? Like, can is it different with no. mammals and with, like, Because he, right, he can talk to the lobster, right? Like, right. He's, like Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which Whoa. is another just perfect idiot moment that I just love. Um, no. Yeah, we're going to see more of The Deep, and I cannot wait to talk about it. Um Let's talk about A-Train. A-Train is my other, like, really want to hate this character, but just cannot help myself. And I feel like A-Train is a little more sympathetic, but also more despicable. You know, I feel like his extremes are are further apart. He's just, like, incredibly self-involved, you know? Mm-hmm. And, but there is, but... But the thing is, he actually is capable of loving someone else, mm-hmm. which we see with Popclaw, which is what differentiates him from the deep, right? Yeah. And I think, uh, but the thing is, he's he's too, he's he wants to be famous too bad. Like, that's his downfall is he mm-hmm. cannot um, cede his, uh, his status to someone else because he's got this guy Shockwave who is like, you know, the up and coming speedster. Mm-hmm. And he is terrified of losing to him, which is why he keeps juicing. And I think that, you know, if we want to talk about athletes, I think he's the one who yeah. sort of represents that uh, journey the most out of all of these characters because he is the one who is petrified of the young up and comer who's going to replace him. Yeah. Yeah. It's that fear with A Train that I think is the most kind of interesting. It's like you actually, like, he's so desperate, but it's just ultimately rooted in just fear. He's fear of losing his status. He's 
afraid of losing his, you know, the, the secret of his powers coming out. He's afraid of losing it, like all of that. And just the lengths that fear drives him to. Yeah. Like he literally kills the only person that not only he loves, but loved him mm-hmm. just because he was afraid of what could happen with, you know, if it all came out about what happened with her and what she did and all of that sort of stuff. And just the fact that he was willing to do that just because he was so afraid, like it's so sad and pathetic. <laughs> yeah. Like he chose his, you know, he chose career over love and did, um, yeah. ultimately. And, and I kind of love that moment with Huey at the end where he basically says, you keep saying you killed her. And Huey's like, I didn't kill her. And he's like, I know, but he, you made but, me or something. Yeah, right? I yeah, did. He says you made, made me, me do it. He, Huey basically forced a train to make that decision because yeah. I yeah. think he's been trying to have it both ways, right? Mm-hmm. That he can be, he can have all of his fame and then he can have this love on the side that no one has to know about. And she's like, I want you to merge those two things. I want to be public. And he knew that the, this was going to happen eventually and he was going to have to make a choice. And then, you know, Huey was the one who forced him to make it in the most, uh, well, didn't force him, but essentially kickstarted the events that forced him to make a decision and he chose <laughs> you know obviously to kill her yeah. which is uh which is yeah it's very sad and the, and the actor is great too i think jesse t usher's fantastic so i do too he's fantastic in this role he really makes me like a train even though he's doing he's like literally running through people um but it, this the the speech he gives to Popclaw right before he kills her too always really breaks my heart, um, and it's kind of like we talk a lot about the illusion of good and the uh, and the reality of good. But I think with A Train, it's like the illusion of happiness and the reality of happy because he's talking about what he likes so much about Popclaw is that she ordered a steak and she wasn't worried mm-hmm. about what he was going to think about her. She just wanted to eat what she wanted to eat, and she just went for it. And that is the thing that he cannot do he cannot leave his famous life behind and joy like he can't run away and i mean i think homelander might find like at a certain point he knows they've gone too far to really go back and homelander is going to get both of them but like if he had just had the courage to be honest um with with them about Popclaw or tried to like make that relationship public I wonder how differently his life would go but he also this is the thing that I think is so interesting about A-Train he is the only one that we really hear talking about losing his status like like we don't like Starlight doesn't lose the ability over time to make more light like her and homelander doesn't become less strong or not able to fly as high like he is constantly having to maintain his power in a way that i think the other superheroes are not and i think that is what keeps that fear like every day he's afraid of that you know yeah and that gives nuance to the like just um, how the superheroes are different from each other. They're not mm-hmm. all just the same. Yeah. Right? They don't all have, they're not at the equal level of invincibility or whatever. Mm-hmm. Some are more vulnerable than others. I mean, like even just how hard it was to kill Translucent, right? Yeah. Like that is very different than a lot of other superheroes. Like well, a yeah, lot of, we, we see as, Mesmer, he gets his head smashed I was going to say, he yeah. just gets his head smashed in a sink and he's dead. Whereas mm-hmm. like Translucent is a different level. He is he is much stronger. And that to me is, I, I like that they have those distinctions. I do too. Well, that makes sense too, right? Because now that we know that Compound V is like a, a literal like chemical, how it can have different reactions. And I think it probably, you know, A-Train knows that like mm-hmm. at some level, okay, Compound V did, is not treating me the same way 
as Homelander, but I can't let anybody see this weakness because what would the what would the explanation be? Right. Like our I mean, I, I don't think that we've heard our other superheroes. Have they lost their powers? Have their powers weakened? We've seen weaker powers, but I'm not necessarily sure we've seen loss of powers represented in this way and kind of the implications of what that mm. would mean. Are they even real sphere. if you can lose them? You yeah. Know? Yeah. And I don't, I don't think we have. I think A-Train is really the only one that we have seen struggle with this. Um, although we did see a, a can of super beans or something that is hinting at season four. So that might be yep. something we see down the road. Um, oh my well, gosh, it's going to be like like GMOs or something, but it'll be like <laughs> v, like VMOs. Like, VMOs. It would be VMOs, like, yeah. They're going to put it in the food. Yeah. Yeah, maybe they already are, you know, maybe <laughs> that's why I'm so awesome, you know. Um, well, I want to give a brief shout out. I didn't put her on the list, but I want to give a brief shout out to Ashley because she is one of my favorite characters um, and she's just so funny. And I just very real. Her. Yeah, very, very realistic. Yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to give a shout out to her on the way to talking to about Madeline R.I.P. This is the, I, no spoilers, but I mean, her face gets pretty burned out. Like she's she not, <laughs> no she not coming back. Um, but I, I just want to give a little swan song discussion about Madeline played by the fantastic Elizabeth Shue. And Randall, when you were talking about like the machine and and like Vod as a corporation, it made me think of Madeline because she is very much the face of that, of the me mechanics behind the scenes. And there are a lot of times that I find myself agreeing with her on the surface in what she's saying. Like the line where she tells Starlight, like, why don't you just become a cop? Like, if you really want to save people, then why do you have this suit? Like, you want to be famous and nobody is famous alone. And she's not wrong. And Ashley is also not wrong when she says there's liability. Like, we have to worry about that. The bigger you get, the higher you rise the higher the stakes are and the more people you need to help you. And at some point, I think the stakes just take over and it becomes about this protecting the stakes and the machine more than the original intent, which was to do good things, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, and all that's valid, but that's the problem with like the corporate structure, right? Exactly. That's the problem mm -hmm. with the capitalistic structure that they've built is they they have they've essentially created and cultivated an environment where they have to worry about these things, and um, because people don't actually want to help each other, they're all just trying to you know benefit themselves, and that mm -hmm. is the general that is the general sentiment, which is why all of those things need to be put in place, and um, uh, and yeah, I like I like I like. Elizabeth Shue's performance and I mean she's an archetype that I always enjoy which is sort of the corporate uh the self-aware kind of corporate um uh what's the word I'm looking for just like executive who creates a monster and is eventually you know undone yeah. mm -hmm. by that monster like she's self-aware in the sense that yeah she's right when she tells when she tells uh Starlight to go do that she's self-aware of the machine that she has built and what thrives there and what doesn't thrive there but she still you know is the one that is pulling a lot of the levers and she's like extremely stoked about the uh uh about the manufactured terrorism you know what I mean and mm -hmm. and the idea that Vought and the soup the soups can can collapse in with the military it is because that means big bucks right that's like defense contracts and everything so it's it is. So, you know, she is very much the one pulling those levers. And so I ultimately don't feel too bad for her. But I 
but I do love the idea that, uh, you know, through all those machinations, no matter how savvy you are and no matter how much you can, uh, you know, manipulate so many different situations, uh, you know, the, the things that you have wrought will come back to haunt you. And so yeah. that is essentially what happens with her, I think. Yeah. I think I also think it's like she's so at first I thought I was like, oh, yeah, this like queen, like she is a badass. Like, I love how strong yeah, she was boss. like. Yeah. And it's I think as it goes on, it's like you realize that she was not immune to kind of like the pressures and how she's perceived. I kind of I mean, I think that's what her whole kid is. It's like, yes, she I think she loves her kid, but at the same time, I mean, we see that at the end when she's just telling Homelander, you know, take him upstairs, oh, yeah. take him upstairs. Yeah. Like, I think she genuinely does care about her child, but at the same time, she's like never she's hardly with him. And it's it well, kind she doesn't of goes care like, about anyone else's child. Right. Like, she right. Cares yeah. About her. Like, I think she's a very accurate depiction of of sort of a corporate executive or somebody at least in that level of power. She's very human. She's very real. And she has a lot of very real feelings and real emotions. But she's only looking at the bottom line at the end of the day. And I think what she realizes in that moment with Homelander is like, like the reason she's so desperate to save her child is because she is like, I have not. Uh, created an environment where my child yeah. is safe, you know? Yeah. And she does love her child, but she has yeah. neglected her child. And, you know, now it's like the chickens have come home to roost. So. Yeah, because people like Madeline never think it's going to be them. And they never yeah. think right. it's going to be their own child. Yeah. I think it's also like the expectations. Like she like she is a woman. Uh -huh. And the fact that she had like is in this like extremely powerful position. But like how many times have we seen people interviewed and they talk about like starting a family and it's like, why are you asking me that? Like, mm -hmm. because right. I'm a woman, you're asking mm -hmm. me like, you know, we like we see that all the time. And it's that kind of that pressure that I think is interesting. It's I, I think it's very subtle. But that conversation about the fact that like she has this incredibly powerful position and she's incredibly badass, but still. You know, she's, oh, but she's still a mother. Yeah. Like, we still have that. Like, she doesn't need him. You know, she can still do that on her own. And just, like, having that there, I think, is very um, slyly, very slyly clever. And, but, okay, the moment where she's talking to Starlight about the deep and we, everybody realizes, uh -huh, like, oh, sh oh, this has happened before. And yeah. this note, like, that was the moment I turned on her because it was like, oh, you knew? Of course, you yeah. You knew about this. Yeah. You know, when she says something about, like, the others before the others say anything. And it was like, okay, no, too far, Madeline. Too yeah. far. Well, I mean, and she's the one ultimately who puts together the, the kind of, like, the way that they commodify mm -hmm. what starlight went through with the deep it's like okay well let's take her uh experience with assault and turn it into an inspirational citizen and uplifting starlight. movie yeah. yeah citizen starlight and yeah. it's like uh <laughs> i know it's so fucking funny though because it's so true like yeah. it's chopped like the whole thing is chopped relensed and packaged into something digestible mm -hmm. and inspiring and then i love the use of the Katy perry song like that's so fucking funny yep. yeah. and well it's it's depressing and horrible but it's funny because it's right. true mm -hmm. you know it's like this well, if is you don't how... laugh you cry you know right i mean this is what you know this is uh uh you know what's what i'm looking for it's like uh uh corporate inclusiveness it's like this mm -hmm. is their way of of covering this is their, their pride merch yeah yeah it's their pride merch. Yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. it's their it's their you know trans visibility day tweet you know yeah. it's, it's 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 the same fucking thing like the thing is they will still 
like fire a hundred trans workers for not doing whatever it is they want. They'll still bust the union. They'll still do all this shit, but they'll put out the tweet that says, Oh no, no, no. We actually, we absolutely value all of this shit, you know? And it's, mm-hmm. it's just the lowest common denominator. It's how can we spin this? And, uh, and you know, that's just, that's, uh, you know, it's woke capitalism. It it's, is. it's, it's depressing and true and funny. And that's why I think I, and that's what this show is so good at satirizing as you'll see in uh, later seasons, they yeah. lean into that even more. So, <laughs> well, and I think with Madeline, like she said, I just watched the episode where she was talking about, I wrote Maeve's story. And I think she's mm-hmm. written her own story. Like her, she doesn't have superpowers, but she's got this office. She's this girl boss energy. She's this single mom. Like, and we see her like nursing and she's like, no, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to use right. formula, you know? And, and I think that's very much part of her own, like, lore and her own persona and how she kind of tells herself, like, I can survive against. I mean, I also could imagine what it would be like to work with somebody like Homelander. And I think I love the moment at the end where she finally says, like, I'm afraid of you. And I don't think it was yeah. until we watched it for the last episode where I, it really hit me what she meant there. It's like she has never really cared about him. She is afraid of him. And this is how she manages him. control yep, yeah exactly, exactly. she yeah. was great at managing him until she wasn't she exactly yeah. yeah yeah and that's oh. what made her so good at her job and i think that's like why she's such a fascinating character is because you see how good she is at every aspect of her job yeah but the thing about about um homelander is he's a he's a loose you know he's reckless he's he's a wrecking ball and he's he's like a child playing with toys like yeah. he doesn't understand the weight of shit so you know or he doesn't as, care you know yeah he doesn't, he doesn't care. care yeah yeah yeah. Oh, R.I.P. Madeline. Maybe she'll show up in more uh, Cobra Kai and we can still watch her. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't one, one do can dream. this year. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to our Spice Girls category. And let's talk. We've talked about Starlight a little bit. Um, I really love her journey um, through this season. And I think like Starlight and Huey and A-Train, I think all I think are kind of struggling with the same thing but just in very different ways it's like who am i who am i supposed to be and how do i get there and what am i willing to give up to be who i am and i i, I mean i love her she's one of my favorite characters because she's just awesome but <sighs> starlight she um she's also so interesting to me because like she like is clearly struggling with she goes Mm -hmm. through a lot she finds out a lot about herself about her past about her family and history and you know Huey and that whole thing and yet still in all that I still think that she's actually the strongest (laughs) person here because she actually I feel like knows who she is Mm -hmm. more than anybody else there yeah and you know she's figuring that out in different ways but i think that she has a sort of secureness in that Mm -hmm. that the others are like too scared or unwilling to admit just the fact that she's willing to go out of the building in regular clothes Mm -hmm. (laughs) like like she's the only one that does that i think she is the only one that does that i think i can't remember if we see Maeve do that or not i know we see Maeve walking around and going yeah, to we see we see Maven in normal clothes at one point, I believe, and like we see once? okay, yeah, and yeah. we see A Train in normal clothes. Oh, but only... that one time, but he doesn't get recognized, well, right? And it, like, mm, yeah, and, and then it's he because has a, he's crying too, like he's he's committing some terrible yeah, things, yeah. But... Then there's that. 
But just the fact that like she's willing to realize that like her whole identity is not Starlight. Like she's also Annie. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that all these other soups like we don't really see like if they are Queen Maeve. Yeah. They're you know he is Homelander but with Starlight it's we see Annie and I think that's an important distinction that I make you know I'm excited to see where that goes because I think it's only going to get you know better but I just I I don't know I think she's so interesting because we see that and I yeah just and that's the the struggle yeah that's the struggle too dual costumes is is how do you sort of resist cynicism when you're caught up in that machine I think that's really Mm -hmm. what is interesting about her journey is like you said there's Annie and there's Starlight and how does she you know not let Annie get subsumed uh, Mm -hmm. by by the machine and how does she because you see her dip into that cynicism a bit like Uh when she changes costumes and everything Mm -hmm. and that does become something that you know is teased out through the next couple seasons is is that push and pull because I think it's so easy to when you are in that position of power to collapse into uh, cynicism and um and self-preservation emotions of that and that's why i I really like her relationship with huey i'm usually not a big like love stories person unless Mm -hmm. it's you know done really well this was i really 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 love that romance and i think it it is one of the strongest aspects of season one um and it's what i think is probably the most interesting thing about huey for me is the way that he navigates sort of the ways that he's using her but then the ways that he's also developing feelings for her. you know it's a kind of Mm -hmm. a classic trope but i think it's Mm -hmm. executed really well here yeah yeah and they are on these like parallel but like opposing journeys of like figuring out what strength is, what vulnerability mm-hmm. is. Um, and I think Starlight is definitely, I think the bravest one here and she starts brave and Huey, I think is like kind of coming up to meet her. But what I think is so interesting about Starlight is she does, she is trying to figure out how to be a good person in this really toxic system. And the thing about Madeline is like, she talks a good game and she will convince you. And like, even we were talking about this on um, white ladies in crisis when we were talking about nine to five, but it's like, she is like the face of the patriarchy and she is the one that is going to put on the sugar coating and to really sell it to you. And I think what starlight sees or starts to see is, I don't know if the system can be saved. Like, is there is this possible for me to exist in this world and still be a good person or does the entire world need to topple? Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's talk about Huey. Um, you know, my, my second crush of the show. I love, I love Jack Quaid in this role too. I grew up having a huge crush on uh, Randy Quaid, not Randy Quaid, Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid is his dad. <laughs> like, wait, I grew what? up having a big crush on Randy Quaid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're a big uh, Independence Day fan. Oh, love him in Independence Day. <laughs> um, but I think he, I love him in this role. I love, like, you know, a lot of what we talk about is what masculinity is. And I think Huey is a really great kind of, um, like, exploration of what real strength and what real masculinity can be and pairing him because he's got butcher on one side and he's got annie on the other and just kind of this push pull between the two of them and like following your heart but also being brave enough to stand up to power because butcher you know maybe we can talk about them kind of connected but butcher Mm -hmm. is such a strong presence in his life and trying to tell him who he should be and what he should do with his trauma and annie has kind of a similar story but she's giving him another option you know 
Oh yeah. And just like seeing Hugh, like Huey, like recognize that he does have skills. Like for some, mm-hmm. for some reason, I feel like Huey just was a little bit stunted and a little bit like self-deprecating, but like, sl- like so often we see the people around him recognize that like, oh, okay. So you do like tech stuff and, oh, you know that. And then finally, I think he starts to realize like, oh, I have something to offer too. Mm-hmm. And for some reason has just been kind of blind to his own skills. So like watching him kind of embrace that. I mean, the retainer is the perfect example, right? Like <laughs> yeah. it's so like at the very end, like it's so silly and so dumb. Mm-hmm. But only Huey would have thought of that, and it totally worked. And yeah. so yeah. just kind of embracing that and being willing to put that out there. Yeah. I love how capable he is, like, throughout, even though he's doofy. It's like, like even the scene with um uh with Ezekiel when he's got the blackmail material, but then his phone's <laughs> yeah. all wet. And he's like, he's like, oh, you fucked me. And yeah, you played my butt like that. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, you played my ass like jazz. Like, it's super funny. And I, I think that's such a good example of the show, uh, the show's style of comedy, where it, mm. it can be like a scene with really high stakes and, and taken pretty seriously. But then he can say something like, like, you played my ass like jazz. It's very funny because he, he needs to be convincing in that moment. Yeah. And uh, and so, yeah, I don't know. I, I love that character. I think he's I think it's a great spin on like a pretty familiar archetype. And uh, and I think the tension of the relationship with Butcher and Carl Urban's perfect casting because. Mm. Mm-hmm. He's just the ultimate like masculine, uh, beer swilling, uh, you know, jacked bearded alpha male, mm-hmm. and he is he's really good in the role. My thing is though, I just like I'm, I'll probably have like you notice I had a lot to say about the bad guys. Uh-huh. I have a lot <laughs> less to say about these guys, and it's not because I don't like them or anything. It's just that when it comes to uh, Frenchie and MM and um, and uh, Butcher and Huey, like characters that i enjoy spending time with but it's kind of like the poochie thing like i'm like when are we gonna go back to homelander you know and that's and i think it just a lot of it has to do with like i almost feel like the the showrunners themselves are more interested in the superheroes than they are in the boys like Mm. and i think because i'm so invested in the superheroes and how layered their journeys are and how much is going on like i'm not rooting for the boys you know i don't want them Mm. to win like necessarily like uh you know, it's like just the superheroes to me are all so much more interesting. Mm. And I think a lot of that has to do with how the show integrates them into like, you know, these existing institutional structures as we know them. And it helps me and, uh, you know, see the world itself like through different lenses. And the satire itself is so much rooted with those characters that um, it's hard for me to be as invested in the boys. So yeah, that's an interesting point thinking about like, I guess I haven't even actually thought about it. Like, was I okay? So, like, the final scene, like, was I rooting for Butcher to like <laughs> right kill? Exactly. You know, it's like I don't, I wasn't. Yeah, but it was like I was. You know, I thought that you know moment in that showdown and that kind of standoff was incredibly exciting, and like I was fully engaged. But I wasn't like, yeah, go Butcher, like mm-hmm. get him. And, well, and I, he's such a flawed character too, in great right. ways. Like, like oh yeah, you could make you know, an argument that he's a bad guy in a lot of exactly, a lot of which is what I. That's what I really like. And mm-hmm. they te- they really do tease that out the rest of the series, too, is that yeah. he is a complex character in that regard. But uh, but yeah, it's like for me, I'm always like, 
give me the deep give me a train <laughs> give me homelander give me yeah. starlight like and you know like starlight is a character i absolutely love i i love spending time with her and i think the actress is fantastic so it's like yeah. it's really the the boys of the title are the ones i find myself least invested in uh not to say that i don't like them or anything but it's like like i definitely those scenes are a lot of fun like i mean i do think the stretch where they've got translucent in a cage is like one of my favorite stretches of yeah. the of the series because i think that whole section is just super funny but also very tense and very scary at times so you know they've got their moments but i'm always i'm always wanting to go back to the the soup the soups well and i think it helps that they have just the perfect actors playing the boys like that Mm -hmm. they would completely get lost if not but like we've talked about how much we love frenchie and how much we love frenchie and kamiko together and how sweet they are and i think mm is a really great example of kind of what you're talking about like he just is always playing like the thankless stability you know and he's such a great character and i love how they kind of are teasing this ocd thing out a little bit with him but like he's you for he's so easy to forget because he is just a good person and i think that's that's kind of like fitting into the overarching themes of the show is that like goodness gets forgotten or goodness gets (laughs) gets washed out you know and that that evil is more exciting you know well and if we're like i talked a lot about like even like gendered stereotypes and the idea of like masculinity it's like Mm -hmm. actually i would think mother's milk is actually like perhaps like the best example of like yeah he loves his wife and kid he, he loves, loves his wife he's and wife kid guy. yeah he's attentive he's calling her you know like yes he's keeping some secrets but yeah. like he he's protective of her he's willing to admit when he's wrong he's well organized he had a good job like he's mm-hmm. funny and he's such like but yeah yes he's kind of like shoved to the side and instead we get butcher and homeland or like these deeply flawed emotionally traumatized because those are the people beings. that suck up all the air in the room right yeah, and yeah. I mean, that's just like it's like i was saying earlier about everything is a sideshow right mm-hmm. and i mean the thing is uh like those are the characters who are always going to uh you know swing their dicks around and <laughs> say the most words and consume all the air in the room and i think that with um, and the thing is that's that's it's hard in an ensemble show. Yeah. Uh when you are a character whose purpose is to be uh relatively noble and dutiful and useful, sometimes you just become that character who moves the plot along and you don't yeah. become the most exciting part of the show. And it's not the actor's fault. I think he's great. Oh, yeah. It's uh I don't know, I think about like Stranger Things, right? Like like uh when we uh, talked about season four no spoilers but uh we talked about season four on talking hawkins on losers club we we kind of were like what was dustin up to this season and we're like oh he just kind of he did a lot but he was just moving the plot like he was yep, just a yeah. useful character nobody really remembers him that season but he was because he wasn't the the star he wasn't mm-hmm. the showcase but he was moving the plot along and i feel like that's true with you know even huey to some degree as the show goes on it's like uh there is there's these characters who sometimes it's like they're not the flashiest one but they're really necessary to the fabric of the universe but they're nobody's favorite character you know yeah 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 and the scene i think that really gets me with him is the scene with mesmer because you see him come up and he's like threatening him and they're shaking hands and he's like well you know and you're just imagining what he's showing mesmer and what he's holding over him and then you see it's he really wants to reunite him with his daughter and i genuinely believe that he does want mesmer to be reunited with his daughter i think he has his own, own ulterior motives but what i think is interesting about annie is i think she 
is an MM, but there is a piece of her that wants to be Homelander or that wants to be Queen Maeve. Or the, and it's just like this struggle of like, I, I cannot be both of these things because to actually be a good person is to give other people the air in the room and to not suck it all up for myself. And, and I think she's still mid-struggle with that, but, but mm-hmm. we shall see. But, but I think it was Starlight too. Like she's been... I mean, we see it with her mom. Like she's been raised to think like that she she has such high expectations placed on her. Mm-hmm. You know, like any child star, you know, star or pageant mom or whatever, stage dad. It's like they put such high expectations. So she's been trying to live up to this for so long and then finally hits like the pinnacle and fulfill all of, you know, what she thinks are her dreams. Mm-hmm. Even though I think once she gets there, she start and especially if she starts to know more about her backstory, it's like, wait, what is my dream? Did yeah. I really want this? Do I really want this? Or have I just been conditioned to think this is what I'm supposed to be doing? Like I'm living up to what, you know, God intended. Yeah. Yeah. I love that scene when she's kind of leading the teen group and she says she's a virgin and stuff like that. And you've mm-hmm. got like her mom and the publicist like standing next to each other. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a really interesting side by side just comparison. Like my my wife was watching that scene with me and she's like, oh, are those the publicists? And then I go, actually, it's her mom and the publicist. And mm-hmm. that gives it a little bit extra weight because she's getting this pressure from family, but also from the workplace, you know. So. Well, and is her mom serving like what's the difference between Ashley right. and her exactly. mom at that point, too? You know, yeah. and then we also have the, pe- the pastor who's right next to her is like eh, yeah you know you're you <laughs> blonde hair. oh wait no yeah. that's the that's not ezekiel that's the other guy oh yeah yeah thing. it's it's the lesser ezekiel he's a yeah. you know zeke light i'm obsessed um, with ezekiel's like dyed blonde hair it's like, I, so ugly and funny it is pitch perfect like whoever <laughs> yeah. wrote this like grew up going to ichthus with with me too so uh-huh. um but what i think is is really interesting with annie and just her journey throughout all of the seasons is just it's something that I've been through also is like the older you get and the further, the more you see, the more you realize you've been lied to and what Mm -hmm. does that do to you and how can she, yeah, I don't know how much there is to say about Maeve, but I think she sees Maeve as well. And like, is this who I'm going to become? And if this is what I'm going to be, then what is the point of any of this? Um, Yeah. I think Maeve's like, the best way I think to look at that character because it's so hard for her to break out, I think, amongst all these other characters. But what is really essential there is that she is someone who has compromised a lot to be Mm -hmm. in the position she's in. And I think she has a lot of tough love that she wants to give Starlight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But she doesn't really know how to express it. Mm -hmm. And then I think she's all there's also that part of her that is trying to recapture whatever it was about her humanity excuse me, her humanity that she had before, you know, she was Queen Maeve. And uh, that has to do with, you know, we get a brief scene, I believe, with her ex, um, like Uh, midway through the season. And that is, you know, I think this, 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 this uh, desperate attempt to try to recapture something uh, from back when she was more human than superhero. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, seeing having Starlight there, because before that, you know, it was Lamplighter. So Maeve was, you know, the only female presence in that arena. Mm-hmm. And then having somebody like Starlight there to kind of act as a mirror and reflect herself back to her. And, you know, when Starlight's telling her how she kind of idealized Maeve and looked up to her and just kind of seeing how idealistic and altruistic Starlight is. I mean, it's tough when you're confronted with those kind of things and you realize exactly how far you've fallen. Like when you're surrounded by a bunch of like Homelander types who are all doing terrible things. It's easy to kind of have your perspective 
warped a little right. bit about yeah. what what is actually reality. And so having Starlight enter the fold, I think it's giving her an interesting uh, moment to really kind of reflect and realize like, oh, I've changed yeah. and I don't know how I feel about that. But I, I do wish we would have maybe seen more of that. And who knows, maybe we do because I don't know because I haven't seen it. But um, <laughs> she... Yeah, she wasn't there that much, but I would like to see more of that story. What they did give me, I'm intrigued by. Yeah, and I think she's, this is something I think we've talked about with her before, but it just, I think she shows how hard it is to go first. And for a woman in a really masculine field, like how hard it is to try to survive in that kind of world. And it, you know, I don't know if I really want to compare her to Hillary Clinton, but like you see the amount of hatred that everybody in, like you just, you grow such a tough skin because there is nobody else on earth that can understand what you're going through. There is nobody else that you can talk to and in another world she and homelander would make a great couple because they could really lean on each other and they could share things with each other but that's just not who homelander is and so if this is the kind of support like i feel like she is the one who has been in this grinder for the longest and is really is about to get spit out and it I just love her. It just breaks my heart for her because because I I could see myself getting to that point, too. If you're just constantly having to survive every day and you're never getting any kind of support that matters or what you're getting Mm -hmm. is from somebody like Madeline who's telling you how to be a woman or how to be like a strong woman and you know that that's not real, then it that this is what happens, you know, and I think Mm -hmm. what we're going to see from her character is very interesting too like she's she's another one that i think really grows as the series goes on not to spoil or tease but um (laughs) i have kimiko kimiko on the list i don't know how much there is to say about her i just want to say that i love her um and i love that we finally learned her name um because it is as much as i love this show my one little nitpick is i don't like that we call her the female as much as we do but (laughs) i get it but i just love her so it, I, this I is like, the boys. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Gotta yeah. single out the female. <laughs> it's yeah, it's hard to like judge her as a character because you know, we're just like we barely really scratching yet. the surface yeah. of her. But her story, I think, is really fascinating. And I love how it kind of fits into all these ideas that we've been talking about, this good versus evil, because you know, at first we she's been we find out that she's been trained to be or not trained but um made into a a bad superhero Mm -hmm. and then find out that like yes she was in this liberation army oh but she was a child soldier and like oh well wait that changes things and so now she's with the good guys again because she was never really a bad one to begin with and just kind of all the nuance (laughs) that is like encapsulated that is a lot to process and and then just to see frenchie just be able to see through all of that uh-huh. and just right to the heart of her soul is just like the cutest thing in the world and oh. yeah i i think she's a total badass mm. and it's kind of her I mean, fight scenes cool are always s- sick yeah they are yeah so well cool, and the yeah. fact that she is a soup and yet on this team that's out to destroy soups you know yeah. so there's obviously that dynamic as well so i yeah that's what i think is the most her. interesting with kamiko in the first season is kind of her what she reveals about butcher too because yeah. and we see this with annie mm-hmm, too because mm-hmm. butcher hates all soups bar none like if they have superpowers he hates them and i think Mm -hmm. it's interesting seeing annie because 
uh, both Frenchie and Huey say the same thing about both of them. Like they are good people. They have these powers, but there's a difference between having these powers and using them to hurt yeah. people. And I think that is one of Butcher's biggest flaws is that he cannot see that yet. Hope, you know, maybe he'll get there, but you know. There are no absolutes in this series. Right. And I think that's what I like. There yeah. is no absolute good. There is no absolute evil. There is no absolute bad guy. There's no absolute good guy. And Kamiko brings that out of certain people and certain entities. And she, I mean, that is what she is in, in a character. She's yeah. just like this enigma that doesn't fit into any box. And I think that that's, that's cool. And I, I hope that I hope that she says something sometime. <laughs> uh, no spoilers. To say. Okay. Yeah. And, and, I mean, even Homelander, because he's probably the closest we will get to an absolute. But even then, we see like the look on his face when he found out that Becca had that Becca was pregnant, you know, is just or finding out that his name was John or seeing him with that blanket. It just is like, yeah, there because there aren't absolutes in life. That's just that's not the world we live yeah. in. Um well, I had some stuff in Good and Evil. I think we've already talked touched on most of it, though. We've talked about the Believe Expo. We've talked a little bit about Compound V. I have soups in the military. I don't know how much we really want to say about that, but is there any, like, theme that we want to talk about that we haven't touched on yet? I just want to say, regarding soups in the military, like, the dad side of me, like, loves this kind of, like, political <laughs> thriller-like mm. plot line that's, like, threading through. Like, I think it's really interesting and... You know, it's it, there's a lot going on in this show, so it'd be easy to say like too much, too much. But yeah. um, I, I'm I'm digging it. Yeah, no, I, I love it. Going. I think it's it's great satire <laughs> and it's very relevant. I think in today's mm-hmm. culture, like when you know defense contractors, I think have more power than Congress sometimes, yeah. uh, and it's I think that is absolutely the kind of thing that they're getting at in the yeah. show. So well, and I think the creation of supervillains also is yes, just yes, yes. I yes. mean, you know, is that what the government is actually doing now? Just not the superheroes, <laughs> and always, <laughs> always, right? right? Like yeah. you have to find the. I mean, there's it, no greater like economic like exactly. energizer than war right yeah. so you yep. got, it's like it's practically the enemy. only thing america makes anymore is just weapons you know mm-hmm. and it reminds me of jurassic world where they're trying to like make the dinosaur weapons you know it's like life is gonna find a way that's uh, probably a dumb comparison but but yeah and know. it's like you know i mean there's nothing that energizes people more uh than having clear bad guys right exactly clear good guys mm-hmm. clear bad guys so if you have all these good guys if you don't want people to look at the unsavory things they may or may not be doing let's give them some bad guys that yeah. they can get mad at and that's okay. you know look, look over here look over here exactly <laughs> that's the that's the trick and well it's so. one of the things they say unifies people so the most is sports because you've mm-hmm. got your clear teams and you can dress like them you can like you've got a symbol that you can latch on to and yeah and I mean, that's like, you know, that I think that was one of the reasons that Trump was so I'm not I'm not going to get super political, but it's like one of the reasons that Trump was, 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 was so popular was because he uh, was because he was so good at painting simplistic portraits yes. of good yes. and evil. You know, mm-hmm. he wasn't trying to talk about complex notions. And and I mean, most of I think the media and, uh, you know, his party, I mean, this is something they've always been doing. But it's like politics has really taken that cue from him over the last uh, you know decade or so in that we need to be as simple and straightforward as possible and saying who is the good one? Who is the bad one? Like the mm-hmm. more we can divide, the more successful we will be. And that is sadly true. Yeah. Uh, because people yeah. um, are motivated by 
their hatred of others. And so so the more you can foment that, the better. Well, and and it's more interesting to be told who you should be mad at than try Mm -hmm. to figure out the details of how to solve a problem. You know, it's kind of like the MM versus Homelander thing we were just talking about. It's like it sucks up all the air out of the room for better or worse, you know. And super villains, too, is just really interesting because it's, you know, if there's one thing that corporations specifically or the government like really want to do is how much blame can we put on the smallest group of people? You know yeah. what I mean? So we're not actually talking about systemic change or what is wrong with certain institutions or things that we, you know, or corporations or anything like that. So long as we can find the bad apples, quote unquote, then everyone mm-hmm. will be happier because we can just pin it all on them. And so that's like why, you know, the super villain sort of narrative is extremely helpful. I yeah. mean, like the Theranos thing is a great example like you know don't get me wrong elizabeth holmes like deserves to be in prison but Mm -hmm. let's just say she was not alone in that whole endeavor so yeah yeah well and we can't make these super villains too charismatic because then it's like you know wrestlers you've got your heels in your face you know and you don't want somebody to start supporting the anti-hero and you know yeah just make them foreigners like exactly (laughs) (laughs) they do that in wrestling too (laughs) they do yeah Um, all right. Well, let's speaking of wrestling, let's talk about I don't know if that was that works or not, but we're gonna move on to shock and awe. Oh, which I think that's good. Is when we talk about um yeah, I guess the military maybe was a better transition to that. So <laughs> everyone just pretend that's what I said. Um all right, so this is just I, we can kind of just go round robin and talk about our most exciting, biggest shocks, um, the the things that we find the most exciting in season one, and the one when I think about the season, I think about the Believe Expo, but I think about the plane crash. That just that was the moment for me where I was like, oh, I am into this. This show's mm-hmm. not fucking around, you know. I I think it's it's horrifying the way it happens, and to so quickly see Homelander flip and start threatening the people that he was just. Uh, saving you know it's just it's terrifying yeah like how how quickly the switch turns and doesn't Mm -hmm. he fire doesn't he does he fire a laser at anybody inside he he lasers yeah in the cockpit which is why the plane goes down because he's careless because he's not gonna die he's never in any danger yeah that that scene to me was really important i think in winning Mm -hmm. me over as well because i couldn't you know i love it when a show shocks me i love it when you do something that i was not expecting you get so used to uh moments like that coming to the brink and then somebody saving the day right and yeah. and there's part of us that always like breathes a sigh of relief because we don't want to witness ch- children dying in a horrible plane crash but yeah. that is ultimately i think what gives uh this show the power is that we do witness that absolutely fucking like heartless uh moment and then the fact that mave is complicit in it to the degree that she is even though there was really nothing she could do right. it's like she is still to some degree complicit and uh that it just creates like a really interesting tension and also the kind of you know stain on homelander that is not easily scrubbed out so yeah well and she knows who homelander is you know she is not under any illusion she doesn't know he's gonna make this plane go down but like there is a a kind of implicit buy-in when you are engaging in a mission with homelander because you know what he's capable of and what he will do and it just speaks to i think to you know we were just talking about like you know uh corrupt government government organizations and things of that nature but i think this uh is this happens more often than we'll ever know i would assume which is that a moment of recklessness results in something happening that no one can survive from that is very much probably the fault of you know whoever it was that was there to quote unquote liberate save whatever you want to call it uh 
I think there's a lot more recklessness than we probably realize. So. Yeah, it's it's I can't ever remember what Stephen King's story it is, but it's like the bug in the car causing the car crash with yep. the single yep. driver, you know, that we yep. will just never know about. So, um, For me, one of the most shocking moments was just Robin's death. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like it's right at the beginning to start the show. It yeah. really is. Because I just like I had no idea, like, you know, the early story about how that all happened and just like how brutal that was and like you see like bits of her <laughs> mm-hmm. and it was just and just how quickly it happens and unexpectedly it happens and her hand like all of it i was just like oh oh shit yeah. <laughs> like they're not like they are not messing around here mm-hmm. like, like i just genuinely I, funny but genuinely fucked up and tragic yeah yes. yeah and it's like i you know I love horror movies. I've seen some pretty serious, but just, I don't know, just the fact that this is kind of, you know, a quote unquote superhero show, it caught me off guard and I really liked that. And it just really just, it's like, okay, this is the kind of show we're in for. I'm I'm in. Let's, let's do this. So that was my first like big shock of the show. Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple moments of like really extreme gore that mm-hmm. that are and they they space them out really well too. And yeah. uh like, you know, obviously when Popclaw sits on the guy's head, which was very <laughs> much a big part of the marketing, I remember. And that that it's just the effect is so fucking gross and nasty. Mm-hmm. And then the same with um when Mesmer gets his head hit against the sink. Those moments are both like they're bracing. It's like somebody throws cold water on you. And I love that about them. So Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we are on the Anatomy of a Scream network, which is a horror um, site. And that was how I sold it. I was like, it's pretty gory. This is not yeah. a, not technically a horror show, but it is definitely has horrific elements to it. Um, one of... <laughs> Still gory, but also very funny as the dolphin episode or the oh, moment. <laughs> it's just, I love the way it plays out with the wannabe slowing down and then he gets, it's very like the devil's rejects moment, you know? Yeah. Um, just, and the look on Deep's face, like Chase Crawford, <laughs> it's just, I cannot sing his praises enough, but anything else we want to mention in shock and all? I mean, there's a bunch. I mean, like, I think even just the scene when he shaved when the deep shaves his head and everything or even just the scene when he's assaulted by that woman like it's yeah. so fucking like it goes harder than you think it's yeah, going to you yeah, know yeah. and yeah. i think that really works um for that character because he's you know he's usually the one who is who is uh abusing his own power and so it's kind of wild and and shocking and disturbing the way that he performs that because he is like, oh, all the power is being stripped from me right now. Like, mm-hmm. and I have I am completely helpless in this moment. It's it's really bracing and a nice moment of acting. So, yeah, I also I mean, the final reveal, because I didn't yeah. know that was going to happen about like Becca and his son. Like, I love how it leaves the season on a cliffhanger, but I don't feel unsatisfied. Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. I feel excited for this next season. For sure, like that is a great cliffhanger and a great tease for what's to come that I did not know was coming, but I don't feel like it was cheap or like, oh, come on, like they're leaving us there. So I thought that was just really well executed and I'm excited. Yeah, it's not not to talk about Stephen King again, but it's not Mr. Bojman ripping off his mask (laughs) and suddenly it's the boogeyman. I feel like it is earned and it is definitely has been in the cards since the first episode. And I think on that note, let's skip 
choose your fighter for right now and let's go into predictions um, because that is where we leave the season. They are on this besprinklered lawn. It's very much Americana and we have our our happy fucked up family with superpowers. <laughs> so Rachel, what do you think might happen next yeah. and what are you excited to see? I think there's going to be some awkward family dinners coming <laughs> soon <laughs> with Butcher and Homelander and all of that. Like there's going to be, I am also excited just because this changes everything, right? For what uh, public knows about superheroes. Mm. So I'm excited to see like, how are they going to sell this? Is this going to be made public? Like, what does this mean mm-hmm. for superheroes? Because everybody thinks they're born this way. So this isn't necessarily like, I mean, it's important in the public eye, but like behind the scenes, like I'm kind of curious, like how this will send ripples through Vought. And then also Madeline's gone. Yeah. So um, what what's his name? Edgar? We got him in here now. Like, let's let's bring in Gus Fring and see what yeah. how that goes. <laughs> I also like I please tell me we get some more Black Noir. Because I need I need I need more. Like that mystery is no very spoilers. intriguing. No spoilers. <laughs> But yes, we yeah, will get so more the, Black Noir. <laughs> okay. okay, thank like, you. I won't tell you anything about it, but yes, you no, will but, be happy but he's coming point. back. Great. So yeah, those are th- some things that I am excited to see. And then also just the boys are kind of in a terrible spot right now as a oh, team. Yeah, like they are internally not in a good place, like in where they stand as far as like government agencies hunting them. Like they're all fugitives. So I'm excited to kind of see like what the fuck is going to happen to this group of, you know, this merry band of misfits (laughs) and how are they going to get out of this? Because Mm -hmm. I'm assuming they come back together in some capacity and I don't know how that's going to happen. Well, The next season is actually called The Seven and they just, they all die in the that's it no yeah um well i'm not gonna say any more than i already have um all right so let's backtrack just a little bit and we're gonna go to choose your fighter which is normally where we pick our mvp of the episode but this time it's going to be our mvp of the season and just a brief moment about why we love this person if we haven't already uh talked about that so randall who are you choosing for season one I bet I, I mean, can guess. <laughs> well, it it would be easy to choose Homelander because he's incredible, but yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to leave that because I think that's like the obvious answer. Uh-huh. And part of me wants to choose Ezekiel just because I think he's so fucking funny. <laughs> but um, but I'm going to go with the deep because he is uh, hysterically funny. And uh. I it is like. It is hard, like, Chase Crawford on their show has made me laugh more than most comedies that I've seen. So mm-hmm. I I very much look forward to every single one of his scenes. So. Oh, I love him. I'm going to choose Homelander. So he is going to get picked in the, in the final three. So, yeah, I just, I love him so much. I think this season would not have hooked me in i wouldn't care about the show if he wasn't if he wasn't if he didn't exist and if any star was not playing him so well so and yeah he's, he's dreamy you know and the deep is also dream- the deep would probably be my second like i think yeah. even over starlight but rachel who are you gonna choose um well before i say that i also think the deep is just important for like yeah just comedic relief yeah <laughs> like he's so important i think for just like kind of being like an outside like breaking that tension kind mm-hmm. of thing and it's just like crucial to the flow of the show um but 
my MVP. I mean, I'm going to say Starlight. Like, if you guys are, you know, if you guys are going to pick <laughs> the others. She's fantastic. I, I love her. She is. Yeah. And I, I just think, like, I'm all about despicable, unlikable characters. But I do think we need some, we need, we need a light in the darkness, right? Yeah. Like, we need this, like you know purity but not perfect like mm-hmm. she's by no means perfect and i think that's what's important is because she does have a depth to her that is it's not implausible because yes she's a superhero and she's idealistic but she's also i mean she's done some had some bad things happen she's done some bad things she's played both sides of the fences a little bit and so that to her makes her just amazing and also just seeing her be able to stand her ground like i'm rooting for her like i get so excited when she is like i'm not gonna wear that and you know even though madeline counters it within you're not gonna be in the seven just the fact that she's willing to like speak up and have those conversations and stand on that stage and say i was sexually assaulted like Mm -hmm. those moments i think are really powerful and um i believe her like i'm i don't feel like it's out of character to be like okay yes you're perfect like whatever like it does feel earned in those that that goodness feels earned and those moments feel earned and i just i think she's an incredible character and i can only i don't know i'm just excited to see how that power blossoms and where she goes from here and i what the heck costume she's gonna wear i have no idea (laughs) um but yes i loved i loved her journey in this I will say one of my favorite Starlight moments is coming up in the season premiere of season two, and it is a musical moment, and I won't spoil anything else about it, but I I love her. And I love, Maeve describes her as, like, obnoxious. Like, she's just got a little twinge of obnoxiousness, and I think that's what, it's like the salt in the chocolate chip cookie that just brings the sweetness out more, you know? Um, I think we, we picked three wonderful fighters you know i think i'm glad uh all all of my favorites man it's really hard to choose between this really stacked show um that's what i'm saying the ensemble is really deep on this great casting is i know Uh uh-huh great casting great writing yeah just cannot say enough about it (laughs) um bless you but we do have to wrap up because, man, I was, <laughs> it's true Losers Club-esque episode where I, I was like, oh, what we I blame myself. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. We uh, Rachel and I have been going over what we thought we were going to talk about all season long because there's just so much to say, you know? Yeah, um, it really is. Well, okay, let's wrap up with some plugs. So, Randall, where can we find you and what do we have coming up on the Losers Club? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Randall Colburn, just my full name, uh, on the Losers Club podcast, which is, as Jen uh, mentioned, uh, which I'm on with Rachel and Jen. Uh, we talk about Stephen King very in-depth, very long episodes, very uh, <laughs> exhaustive, which is our cup of tea. Yeah. So this month, our book is Just After Sunset, collection of short stories. And the next month, we're doing Under the Dome. So that's uh, that, those are the books we're tackling. Um, a lot of other fun stuff. Uh, please, we have a, Jen and I were on an episode talking about the best Stephen King endings we were. Um, of his novel. So that episode turned out great and that's going to be out this week. So yeah. check that out. That was super fun. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Rachel, where can we find you and what do you have coming up? I know you're going to be on Bag of Bones coming up, right? Or a Bag of Bones yes. episode? Yep. As far as Losers Club goes, I'll be on an upcoming episode of Bag of Bones. And then outside of this and Losers Club, um, 
Uh, you can find me on the pod and the pendulum sometimes with friend of the pod, Mike Snoonian. And uh, we recently just went over Escape from New York and just got to talk about Snake Plissken and Kurt Russell. And who doesn't love that? Love it. Um, Still haven't seen that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's great. Oh, you got to do it just for Kurt alone. (laughs) I love him so much. Yeah. Yeah. He and Dennis, not Randy Quaid, were very much like girl crushes. (laughs) (laughs) Not Randy. (laughs) Um, And you can find me at Jim Ferratu on uh, Twitter and Instagram and writing stuff. And also um, on the White Ladies in Crisis podcast, which is also on the Anatomy of a Scream Network. We just talked about nine to five and physical is getting season three. So we're going to be talking about those that coming up, too. I'm so excited. Um, Speaking of, we want to give a huge thank you to the Anatomy of a Scream pod squad um, for hosting the show. Make sure to check out the other fantastic shows like such sights to show Bodies of Horror and the Alter Tapes. And we are going to be back. I teased a little bit of the season premiere of season two. But before that, we are going to take a little bit of a detour to Metropolis. And we are going to go back to the OG superhero movie, at least within our lifetimes, probably, I I guess I should probably say. Um, And we are going to be talking about Superman the movie. So... Christopher Reeve Droolin is coming up and um, yep, figuring yep, out yep. the kryptonite powers. So, yeah, that's going to be coming in two weeks. And then we will be back to tackle episode one of season two after that. Um, and until then, remember, you guys, you are the real heroes. 